This is Eitan Weinstein. And I'm Naor Menninger. And you're listening to Two Nice Jewish Boys. This podcast is made in collaboration with the Jewish Journal. Check them out at jewishjournal.com. Also in collaboration with Arutz Sheva, israelnationalnews.com. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit 2njb.com slash donate. The Hasidic Jewish community in Melbourne, Australia, is an extremely closed community. They have no access to radio or television. Boys and girls are separated as early as eight years old, and the rabbi has the final say on all issues. In 2008, the community was in havoc due to a number of girls who complained that their school principal, Malka Leifer, sexually assaulted them when they were children at the school. The school immediately bought Leifer plane tickets, and she fled to Israel before facing any charges. Leifer remains in Israel to this day, as Australia's extradition request is suspended in endless trials and legal processes. How many Malka lifers are there in the Orthodox communities in Israel and around the world? It's extremely hard to know. With a clear tendency to avoid any discussion on sex or sexuality, has the Orthodox community doomed itself to simply suffer quietly, exposing the vulnerable? In the last 15 years, one man has been trying to make sure that's not the case. His name is Rabbi Yaakov Horovitz, and he's the author of Let's Stay Safe, a children's book about sexual safety. Yaakov has devoted his life in recent years to fighting sexual abuse in the Orthodox community. He's now in Israel as 15,000 copies of his book are being printed in Hebrew and distributed for free. 30,000, I think. 30,000. Rabbi Horowitz is founding dean of a Muncie, New York yeshiva and director of the Center for Jewish Family Life, Project Yes, and we're honored to have him on the show today. Thank you so much to, for joining us. It's a pleasure to be here with two nice Jewish boys. How can I go wrong? <laughs> and as, as you said, we're, we're, we've yet been uh, defined as nice. You'll have to be the first. I'll be the first. I, yeah. I told Eitan that this is the first time we're having an Orthodox rabbi on the show. Yeah. And I said... Don't get used to it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm back in two months if you want me on again. So congrats on the on the Hebrew translation for the book. Thank it you. was um, distributed with Makori Shon. Right. We had an arrangement. Well, originally we started we started with this book, um, Let's Stay Safe. Thank God that's in over 80,000 homes in, in North America and around the world, the, the English version. And um, subsequently we made a, a Yiddish version. Uh, obviously with the text changed, but also the images so that it, it's culturally congruent with the what the kids have in their lives. I mean, the idea behind it is that the messages in the book, the children should feel that it's their lives. So, and like bodies? When, I'm sorry? And yeah, their yeah, bodies. of course. No, no, I mean, I, yeah, of course. Well, part of one of the messages that we, that in the, in the book, one of the messages, the main messages, uh, you know, the four main messages of, uh, you know, research-based, a child safety education is that the bodies belong to them, that they feel that they have an ownership um, of their bodies. I, I assume that's what you meant there. But, <clears throat> but the images in the, in the, you know, in the, in, oops, in the, oh, the, imi- the images in the, um, you know, the images in the, in the book are supposed to, you know, the idea is that they look at this and they say, hey, this is my life. These rules apply to me. Right. So we made this to look like um, a typical suburban American home. 
Um, and then we did the Yiddish version to more or less to look like um, Williamsburg or Borough Park, you know, the, the uh, communities, communities where, where the, um, those are two communities in Brooklyn, New York, uh, where, where Hasidim, um, many Hasidim live. And when we came to Israel, we decided to uh, devote resources and time um, to make uh, Israeli versions of the book in Hebrew. And we have a Haredi version that's called Mashabatuach Batuach, that's already in 15,000 homes, thank God. And uh, we have uh, Levetach, which is a, uh, a book more geared to the Datilumi community, to the modern Orthodox community. So w- the, the one that's geared towards the ultra-Orthodox community, it's right. in Hebrew? Yeah, not sure. Not in Yiddish? It's in Hebrew. And I actually what, have a book there. I don't know if you want me to go down and get it, but yeah. What, uh, what neighborhood or area in Israel would you say it's modeled we made after? It, we made it more to like a, a city, um, you know, the, the, a neighborhood in... Um, Jerusalem, sort of, yeah. Uh, Brak, Jerusalem, whatever. Let's let's focus for for a second on the American Orthodox and ortho, ultra Orthodox communities. How big of a problem is sexual assault in these communities? Well, look, do you we know, know even? I I've, I don't know. You know, there, I don't know that there's been any um, any uh, real study done that has hard data. And, and even if there were, I mean, yes, you could make the argument that it's underreported or or the data is not correct. I haven't seen a, a specific study. Look, I, I, I op- I've always operated under the assumption that that this doesn't know any boundaries of religion and culture and, and ethnicity. It's um, a matter of statistics. I think there's... No, no, I'm meaning every community has abusers. Right. And, and whether it's, you know, 3% more, 3% less, every community has abusers. And and every community has to do whatever they have they have to whatever they can do to educate the children to see that the that the um, that the abuse victims are getting professional help uh, by credentialed professionals who who are experts in the treatment of child abuse, and that the abusers get reported to the police and locked up. Um, you know, it's it's as complicated and as simple as that. Um, and and we've really made. Um, I'm really uh, very, very heartened by the progress that we've been making over the past years um, in getting, you know, in getting this message out about child safety education, which is extraordinarily effective. I mean, the research shows that children that get simple messages, you know, the, the messages contained in the book and that 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 are, that are research-based, um, they're five to six more like times more likely to exhibit defensive behavior if someone starts up at them. So can you tell us a bit about what is in the book? Like, what are the messages? What are those sure, four messages? Sure, sure. Yeah, of course. So, so again, we, the book is really, there are many uh, safety messages here, but and actually we purposely blended it in slowly. We started with helmets and, and the crossing the street. Uh, then we went to stranger danger. And then we have six pages in the English book and more pages in the Hebrew book on on the, the real danger, which which research shows to be uh, the vast overwhelming majority, are people that the children know. The reason that we blended it in is because um, we know that when when parents are anxious um, and kids are anxious, or the three of us are anxious, um, your minds don't operate the way they do. You know, it's called fear of flight. You know, you just you just your fear overwhelms everything so like if you were god forbid if it was you know if it was uh, a few weeks ago when when the alerts were out you know for the rockets right now yeah. just imagine the siren started going and you and i would be chatting 
the research shows that you probably wouldn't remember a lot of lots of the discussion that we had because if I was trying to teach you something, if you asked me the same question with the sirens going off, in all likelihood you wouldn't remember it. Here the sirens are like, you know, white noise to us at this point. <laughs> they help. But remember. I get I get your point. Yeah. Yeah. So 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 <laughs> therefore and, and you know, any parent if you if you start the conversation off with you know, about grooming behavior and, and the like, so they tend to get anxious. The children pick up the anxiety and then it undermines their messages. When I do safety classes, I, the very first thing I just did, I did, I did one Saturday night here in, in Ramat Beit um, the very first thing I say is, look, I'm going to teach you how to do this. I'm going to empower you and give you the tools to have effective conversations. I speak in this tone of voice, very relaxed, very calm, and that, in gen- you know, that gets the people in the mindset that they're going to learn things and it's going to be helpful to them. The four messages are... Um, no secrets from parents. It's no particular order. Um, and I'll explain like why it's effective and if you're interested, <laughs> you know, right. what, what, why it works and, and, and why it's so effective. So no secrets from parents. Your body belongs to you. A good touching, bad touching. And no one has the right to make you feel uncomfortable. So those are the basic messages. And it, it's really, um, it's an outgrowth of the way we know anecdotally and and through studies how abusers operate. Now, isn't it? I mean, do you have again? I guess this is going back to data that we that we don't necessarily possess, but there there's some of this abuse is actually happening within the home, while some of it's happening That's outside correct. of the home right. in the school, wherever it might right. be. Right. Do and we then, have any idea of how much is happening? If you ask me specifically about the Orthodox community, I don't know, but we know we know that that um, if you think of it as concentric circles, so most of the abuse is happening in those smaller circles, you know, family, mm-hmm. close friends, and and it, the way they, if you think of it, you know, the, the, let me go back a bit. Um, I started realizing about a little more than fifteen, seventeen years ago how many kids, I, I was working with teens at risk. Um, if I go back even further, you asked me if I was really was 60, yes. <laughs> I started teaching in 1982. For those of you who are just listening, if you were watching the video, he looks you, you wouldn't believe it. Yeah. Oh my God, we're going to get along just fine. You can have me back next week. I'll fly back. <laughs> <laughs> no, so, so, you know, the, the, um, the, the, again, the way, the way this, um, the way they roll this stuff out is that you, you think in terms of how abusers operate. And what they try to do is figure out, it sounds terribly callous and cold, um, but they figure out which children they can abuse and get away with it. Okay? That's really how it works. And I, like I said, 15, 17 years ago, I, I started realizing what I started. I, was, I started teaching in 1982. I volunteered. Where? To, in Brooklyn and later in Muncie in two yeshivot and two uh, boys' elementary schools. And I volunteered for, I guess, would be a combat pay. <laughs> I, eighth grade, a weakest track in the school. I tell my principal, you just give me the kids that, you know, uh, that, and you know that are not succeeding and you won't see them all year. You know, and I, I loved every minute of it. And um, I didn't mean I'll take them home. <laughs> you know, they're, they're, yeah, yeah. we're going to come and they'll study. And I, I actually I have, actually, if you're interested, I'll show you later. I have beginner Talmud books that I created because I've always felt that the children weren't given enough of an introduction. Talmud is a taught law class in a foreign language, mm-hmm. you know, and um, I, I just 
I, I just enjoyed every moment of it. Um, and then I wrote an article in 1996 in a Haredi uh, English publication. It was called the Jewish Observer. It was really well written, and it was it was like a place where the Orthodox community, if you had a serious piece to write, that would be you know that was the place. And I basically wrote um, I wrote this 4,500 word essay um, saying basically that we're losing a percentage of our children uh, to religion, and many of them just the frustration, you know, flows over into other areas of their life. And um, it doesn't need to be that way. And here are some some thoughts that over the 15 years that I um, ascertained would be would be uh, effective Helpful ways to keep help. It. Right. You mean like the, we're losing children to religion, as in children are uh, becoming abandoning uh, secular. religion? Right, right. Right. But but it's not really that that they're leading unproductive lives in the general population. I mean, in the mm-hmm. secular sense, it's not only that. You know, we're not only worried about religion. We want them to be healthy and happy and right. well adjusted. These kids are prone i guess in to Israel, getting into trouble to get into trouble exactly. drugs right. and even suicide right and i actually wrote what i actually wrote at the time it, i did not realize it right away but having done this i started this in 1996 so i started an organization that center for jewish family life project yes uh deals with helps uh teens at risk and families we do parenting classes and a mentoring program and try to get the kids off the streets and getting GEDs, which is, you know, bagrut uh, uh, after the fact, mm-hmm. so to speak. And um, I realized after a little while that, that there were really two distinctly um, different groups of kids that we were dealing with. You know, it sounded the same, my kids out in the streets, my kids not keeping the Sabbath, Shabbat, or whatever, not coming to prayers or tefillot. But there were really two groups of kids. There were kids who were abandoning religion only, I call that, you know, they're leaving just religion, meaning they have a happy life, they're sitting there, two nice Jewish guys with the mics on, you know, they're, they're productive, they're happy, they have a social life, they're optimistic about the future, and I call that, again, abandoning religion only. They're on life, the train's going in the right direction, they just don't have a relationship with God. And the other group, really, I say, they're leaving life. They're not just leaving religion. They're also leaving religion. It might sound the same. They're not keeping Shabbat. But those kids are, um, you know, uh, uh, not in school and not optimistic and, and hurting. You said I mentioned about suicide. You know, uh, they're using cocaine, not marijuana on the weekend. You know, like those that it's always, you know, that. Um, and I, I wrote at the time that I felt that over 90% of the kids that were leaving life had been abused. And if you follow Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and you you know you go through uh, what he explains are are the human needs, you know, um, physical needs, security. Like if you're missing those bottom needs, Maslow says you can't function. Similarly to the the analogy with the rockets, right? You yeah. know, if you, when that stuff, when you're not feeling safe, like nothing matters. Did you meet like actual? Oh sure, sure of course, sure. The kids would come and talk and. You know, I'd start exploring, and the parents would bring me the kids to talk about it, and I'd ask them, tell me to describe what they're doing. And it, and it really emerged that there were really two distinct I, I, kids. I, you know, maybe it's just my wild imagination, but how come you weren't, like, lynched by dark, right, it, by dark sides of the, the these communities? From what I know here in Israel, someone like you would would have, would face serious problems. I'm here. No, but Mike, you, you did. You, if you, I show you the Hebrew book, I don't know if you ever heard of uh, Rabbi Chaim Kanievsky. You ever heard of him? He's heard him. Heard of him he yeah. is like you know a very very senior rabbi. He gave us a letter for the Hebrew safety book. 
pull out the I'll pull out our bag and show you. We have the senior dying, the rabbinic judge. Uh, um, but no in objections, no problems. His daughter pushback. What? No pushback. To this educational piece, this was you know in the yeshiva world we call it a chiddush, you know, like a, a, a um, something innovation, that, novel innovation, right? You know what what I what I chose to do at the beginning um, was was focus on the education piece, and um, there there is a second issue about reporting to the authorities that that is some you know some are in favor some are not in favor and i've always been on the record publicly as saying look we can't solve this ourselves there's a system system's not perfect no system is perfect the roads aren't perfect but you don't you don't get in a camel right you know the roads mm -hmm. are you know nothing no system is perfect but the best way we have of protecting children is to report to the authorities i've always said that um but in this education piece, I said, look, you, we all know that we have a problem. Um, let's start educating the kids. And, and um, you know, I, I still advocated for the authority thing, but this educational piece, I got absolutely no pushback. What about, what about um, ultra-Orthodox communities like, I don't know, the Satmar community, for example? I, I don't want to interrupt your show, but I'll show you a picture when we're, all, we're done. Uh, of We published a book in Yiddish. I sold 3,000 copies to Satma Yeshiva in Monroe and Curious Y'all. So and all different... I have a picture of the school principal reading the book to 350 kids at an assembly. So uh, there's no question, not all Hasidim took it, not, not everyone is on board like this. But look, I try... I, I know I'm an agent for change. Not everybody likes it, but... These communities don't like change. I think that, it's that, safe that to say. That is correct. And, and part of it, listen, look, all of it is... Many communities don't all, like change. That's right. I, exactly. Right. Right. If you, you know, if uh, if he decided Nobody to grow... Likes change. If he decided to grow a, a beard and pay out, you'd also get a little, hey, what's the deal? You know, we like what we like, you know? This would turn into one nice Jewish boy. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. Nice one. Good one. Anyway, so I, I want to ask you about the some of the stories that you encountered when you were meeting with these at-risk youth. Right. I mean, like, could you tell us something a bit that shook about, you? You know what well, kind of the you know, first the, ones that well, you encountered? The, the, like I said, you know, the ones the the most sad and heartbreaking were the ones who were who were self destructing. You know, and and it, there's just no words. It, there's just no words to watch a child or a young man or woman. You know, just um, you know, have all that pain and 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 frustration turn inwards. And I, I really felt like when I started realizing about these two groups that it was almost like the, a neutron bomb blew up inside them that like on the outside it looked okay but inside everything was eviscerated but I'm saying these kids came to you and they were telling you about it must the mostly kids like the parents would tell the parents would come and tell me like you know parents would call and describe um, symptoms that they were seeing you know their children were were, were nightmares dropping out of school nightmares I mean you look at the you know, you look at it, you just do a Google search for signs that children are being abused, right? They, they, they exhibit sudden fears. They find it hard to, do, to, to concentrate at, uh, in, in school. And then many times they have fears typically very often associated with how the abuse, and if it's a school-based abuse, they're not going to want to go to school. If it's something in the neighborhood, they'll say they don't want to leave the house. So did these kids open up to you about the abuse that they so, were going through? Not necessarily 
me, it was more that I was coaching the parents and how to ask the questions and tell the children that it's okay to tell me anything. And, and no matter what it is, we love you unconditionally. But I'm saying, when did you sort of get affirmation? Because you had this idea that many of these kids were being abused. And so it was both when... categories. Exactly. Some, some kids told me and, yeah. and they said, you know, I, I never, I wasn't comfortable telling my parents about this, but you know, and I would obviously, you know, ask them to please, can I tell your parents so that you can go get help? Mm-hmm. Um, and most of them, you know, most there's no okay with rules. It. Yeah. Yeah. You know, look, uh, there is nothing. I tell abuse victims, you know, and parents of abuse victims and loved ones that there is nothing in our uh, wheelhouse that gives us the tools to Put the, put a life back together after after such traumas taken place, and you know, um, was th- was the abuser ever anybody in the community that you sure. knew? I mean, were, well, you know, look, how did you deal? Like, how did you go about that? You know, you heard about. Pa- I encouraged parents to go to the authorities, and many, you know, uh, some of the I did go public with some of the high profile trials. One, one specifically, um, where. Um, there was a fellow named Nehemi Weberman. He was a uh, an unlicensed therapist in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, who was treating young ladies from the local schools and abusing them. And you know, I I got a I got a call from the DA asking me to please support the family, support the victim. That she was she came forward and she was under tremendous pressure. Um, and I made a very tough call. You know, I put thirty years of my reputation on the line. And went up in public and said, "You can look on my website." You know, I just said that if you want to, if you Google Yaakov Horowitz images, you'll see a few pictures of me and then a picture of an abuser. <laughs> because in the article it says Yaakov Horowitz says Nachemi Weberman is an abuser, so Google links and it's really hysterical. I mean, not that funny, but um, it's you got to have a sense of humor. You got to have a sense of humor, yeah. yeah. And you know, but by the way, you know, um, I really am very careful about my own wellness. Seriously, you know, I walk five miles every day. I swim every single day. That's the secret for the looks. Yeah, yeah. Listen, okay. I know what to do. Two nice Jewish boys. <laughs> uh, two so, nice Jewish men. <laughs> how 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 did the story end with this guy? So he got a hundred and three year jail sentence. Wow. He was convicted fifty nine out of fifty nine counts. In Israel, he'd get like two weeks. Two weeks and parole. On probation. <laughs> you know, you know something. We're working. I was in the Knesset um, a couple of days ago, working to try to get a sex offender registry here. Um, I do think there are, you know. I think that there are certain risk factors inherent in every community. Look, you know, I'm not completely clear that it's necessarily a religious thing. I think it's a place where you have a small community. And, and you know, people drive more politely in the Galil up, up north than they do in Tel Aviv, right? Now, you could say city life is hectic, right? You could attribute it to certain. Nobody really knows. No one does a study on this, but um, you make most of the statements are correlative uh, and not cause, yeah, causality. Exactly. Well, I believe personally that the, one of the reasons that they they more polite in in smaller communities is because the guy that you cut off in traffic, you're going to see him at the grocery store tomorrow. Uh. Whereas in Tel Aviv, you don't need to see him anymore, right? Mm-hmm. So if the average um, person who lives um, in the general population is not likely to see that person he's reporting. 
But if you have a small Hasidic community or a small community anywhere, I, I mentioned it in a podcast. I just told it to a bunch of educators. You did another podcast? We, we signed a... <laughs> oh, exclusive. Yeah, yeah. Exclusive I don't know. I don't, remember, I don't remember signing that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, did a, I did one a couple of days. And I, and I said that I think that to some degree, the Dati Lumi community, the modern Orthodox communities that live in Yishuvim that are really small and have a fence around it and have a dangerous neighborhood out there, the mindset, I've seen it, the mindset is that once you get in that fence, and, you know, this is a rough neighborhood. You guys don't feel it as much in Tel Aviv. You know, you come from, from uh, you know, I came from Gushetzion, and you're out there in the Yishuvim. And uh, it hit me when I went to Talmon for Shabbat, where one of the three boys, those beautiful children that were killed, mm-hmm. I came to pay shiva calls to those three families. I flew in specially. And um, we spent Shabbat in Talmon. And um, there are about a, there's about a mile, a mile and a half, towards the end of the ride, that's under Palestinian control. And, you know, like back in New York, we would say, you're going through, not now, in the 70s, you're going through the South Bronx, you know, roll up the windows. And as soon as people get on the other side of that fence, you just see everybody chilling out. And Friday night, after the meal, I went to sleep, and then I just woke up 12, 1 o'clock, and I just, I like to get cultures of different communities because people call me from all over the world, and I like to see what's going on. And I walked around uh, Friday night, 12, 1, 2 in the morning, there were so many young men and women out there just having a great time. It was beautiful. Kids were out there just having a good time. The family's finishing. I saw virtually no adults. And in the morning, I went to my house, and I said, who's watching those kids? And he looked at me like I was crazy. Yeah, like I mean, in a kibbutz. Or, it, exactly. You know. And one could say, not only is it possible that the abuse rates might be, I don't know, but they might be higher because the folks and they said come on it's only us right and on top of that if somebody does abuse someone it's so difficult because you have that person's parents you see them every day and when you have a really small community a tight-knit community where everybody knows everybody my, i i told this to you know people ask me generally about about why this is so um Imagine if you go to a small Hasidic community. Look, we, we have five married children. So they live in Los Angeles and Baltimore, uh, Jersey, Brooklyn, Muncie. I had this dream that they're all going to live around the corner from me. <laughs> so, you know. But, but I don't meet those families. And I imagine if everybody's living in a very small... So, you know, so if somebody reports a relative or a close friend, you got, you meet the, you meet yeah. their children and their grandchildren and the right. parents. But right. Williamsburg right. and Muncie, I mean, these aren't small communities. They're it's t- relatively it's speaking, a it's, it, it, it is. is a, it is. A, it is. It is very. I mean, it's it's large communities, but everybody knows everybody, or most people know most people. The big problem is what happens when the abuser, for example, is a rabbi adored by thousands and tens of thousands of people. Right. And we have a hard time. It, we, we have cognit- Based on a true story. Well, I won't name names. Well, Stories. I got, I got news for you. I got news for you. Look at Michael Jackson, right? If you like his music. Yeah. Right? He was doing really weird things, wasn't he? Yeah. And there were legitimate accusations. Or Woody Allen. Or and, Woody Allen. Right? Blonsky. Right? Yeah. And, As and we were talking Look about. at Bill Cosby. He's everybody's dad, right? And when people came in allegations, you can't... How many people believed it when they came against Cosby? Or even Michael Jackson. They did We Are the World, everybody's singing together. But here, since the believers all live in the same shtetl, you are actually risking boycott and violence. 
I'm and threats. Not, I'm not excusing it. No, I've yeah. dedicated I my life to, yeah. to trying to That's see that, that our children stay safe. I think the most important thing to do is to be realistic and to really understand the dynamics. And I'm just pointing out that the dynamics are the same um, no matter what community it is. If you see someone and like someone and know someone, you, you, but, you, you but, weren't around by Bill Cosby yeah. you know, when he was young and, and on TV you know, for, for 15 years or whatever it was, and he came across as this wonderful human being and, and nobody believed it. You say, I know so, this guy. So I think, I mean, there, there's sexual abuse ex- is... Uh, unfortunately, ubiqui- or ubiquitous or violence, sexual abuse violence. and violence is unfortunately yeah. ubiquitous throughout all communities. Right. And I think the idea of uh, you know well-known individuals uh, being protected in a way is also ubiquitous throughout the you know society uh, and mankind. Exactly. But I think there is, and I wonder if you would agree. I think there is some level, and there's you can distinguish between the ultra-Orthodox community, there's some element of, I, I think it might be this idea of self-governance that like the ultra-Orthodox community doesn't quite see itself under the auspices of the state. Now that's not totally, and you right. you mentioned it before that like there's this wariness to go to the authorities. Well, that, and, that, and there, there's a history for that. You know, look, everything, that's why it's important to understand the context. That doesn't mean you excuse it away. Quite to the contrary, you want to eliminate it. But by just saying, oh, those ultra-Orthodox guys, all they care about is the schools, they don't care. You know, you got to get real and understand why it's so. And part of it is that in rabbinic law and halacha, there is a concept called mesira, which means masur is to give over, and giving over people to the authorities, meaning reporting to the police. In Europe, in anti-Semitic countries, where they, the folks didn't get a fair, a fair shot at the, at the legal system, where there wasn't protection, um, it was a death sentence. Going, telling the neighbor, you know, going, somebody went in communist Russia and, and went to the authorities and said, my neighbor said, the czar is a jerk. You know, that was enough to get him sent away to Siberia. So in rabbinic literature, I don't think it's comparable because everyone gets a fair trial today or, you know, as close to a fair trial. No perfect system, but mm-hmm. there, there's, there's protection. So I don't think those laws apply. And, you know, many rabbis feel that way, that, that, that the laws of Masira don't apply. Yet, if you just look at the, um, if you look at the, the rabbinic literature, it says clearly there that Masira is, is like, like the equivalent of sentencing someone to death. But isn't there also in halacha? I mean, I'm not sure. I'm not like. Look, look at you. Uh, look yeah, at you. that isn't two there, nicer Jewish boys. <laughs> yeah. Jewish boys. Jewish. Isn't there chokamakom uh, like the it's law right, of the right, place? The of, yeah, dina dumachuta dina. Right? Which that's what it says. Is. What? Which says which dina, means, yeah. Go ahead. You, you, I mean, you, you're I, the rabbi in training. I, I just ahead. know how to reference it. Yeah, no, no, I've never the rabbis. Yeah, <laughs> the, the two of us. Yeah. I think the idea is that 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 you you should abide by the laws of the place that you reside Correct. in. Correct. Right. And 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 like I said, it's not only that 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 you we 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 were always in, instructed to to follow the laws of the country, the host country. Um, it's even more than that because the concept, the the, the underpinning of the legal law of Masira is based on the fact that it's a death sentence. This is not a death sentence. Um, you know, I, I was interviewed by um, a reporter in the New York Times, uh, Sharon Otterman. She called me, and they, they, she did it. It was really, it was a horrible, it was very difficult, painful to read, but it wasn't unfair. You know, it was describing the situation. It was about 10, 12 years ago. 
And she called me, she asked me for an interview, and she said, tell me, why, you know, why is your community so reluctant to go to the authorities? So I told her, I said, I'll tell you a story. Um, I said, I'm a nuanced person. I'll give you the nuance. You don't have to quote me, but if I see no nuance in the article, don't call me again. That's my deal with all the reporters. I try to give you... Like I'm trying to give the two of you some background so that you understand, again, not saying that this is okay, just explaining it. So I told her about, about the best eulogy I ever heard in my life, maybe one of the best speeches, less than three minutes. Um, one of the most remarkable talks I ever, this guy would have been a good TED Talk guy. Um, what happened was my friend's father passed away when we were 17, and he was a student of one of the major yeshivot in Europe. And um, I'm getting choked up. Look at that. It was 40 years ago. Look at this. Look what a good speech it was, huh? Well, you remember something? <laughs> yeah. See if you remember something 40 years from now. Um, I was sitting with my friend before the funeral, and a fellow came that he didn't know. And the guy came over and he said, look, I'd like to say something about your father. I think it will be a great cover. It will be very uh, respectful and, and honoring him. I promise you I'll be less than three minutes. And he asked, my friend had only one brother. There were two, two sons of this man. And he said, yeah, they talked it over, go for it. Anyway, the guy gets up there and he says, let me, folks, let me tell you the way it was in Europe. He said, the Russians took over, you know, the borders, they were moving back and forth. So the Russians took over that, where the yeshiva was. And, um, you know, the Russian philosophy is everybody shares. It's communism, right? Socialism, everybody works together. So if you're not working, if you're a student in yeshiva, you're taking from everybody else's right? Mm -hmm. From everybody else's pocket. And um, they, they would try to find the leadership of the school and, and they would call someone in for questioning the KGB. And typically the person would just be sent away. Like if they found someone with leadership qualities, you're getting other people to do. Anyway, I don't want to make the story too long, but this guy gets up there and he said, so usually people would actually go uh, um, and say goodbye to the families. Like if the cop came, he said, give me two minutes, they would go kiss the kids. I love you. You know, be strong and live. If two people went together, it was harder for them to make two people disappear. But usually, both of them would be sent away. This guy speaking, two minutes. He says, one day they came for me. And I ran around looking for friends and nobody came. And I went to him and he, he pointed to the coffin. And he said, I went to him, to David. And he didn't know me, but he just put his coat on and came with me. And the KGB guy came, he walked in, he said, what are you doing here? So he said, I'm here with my friend. And he took out his revolver and he said, you think you're in kindergarten? He said, I can make you disappear like that. And he said, look, he's a good kid. He's a good person. Whatever you do to him, you can do to me. And he let us both go. And this guy turns to the coffin and he, look at this. He says, David, I owe you my, my life, this world and the world to come and my children and my family. And he sat down. Best speech, flat out. Best, certainly best eulogy I ever heard. And it's beautiful, but how, now, does it, how does it How does connect? it relate? So I told Sharon Otterman, this rabbi is the age of the senior leadership in our community. And when you grow up with that kind of trauma from, from knowing that a policeman means someone who can Death. kill you in a second, it, you don't change that quickly. It happens to be that, that's, that, was my, that was the nuance. And she wrote two full paragraphs about it. She said, it's cultural, it's, you know, a lot of, a lot of, and again, no, no excuse, but that is the reality 
Um, in fact, I find that the younger, uh, the, the, the rabbinic judges, the Dayanim who are born in America and Israel, you know, that are, were born in a safer environment, typically are more comfortable going to the police. So I want to let Rabbi Horowitz breathe a bit, so maybe Eitan can read an excerpt from... Sure. Ah, okay. In the meantime. Do you have a page uh, yeah. that you suggest? Well, these middle pages are the, are the ones... Um, the interesting one. <laughs> the interesting one. The main, you know, the, the this main, is where... Yeah. Teach Noah and, a lesson. Yeah, so right he, I mean, you can go to the... Okay. So, th- so we'll this read is, one page from This it. is the personal space thing, you know. Yeah. I've got my own knapsack, my drawer, my private space, and I keep lots of stuff in my own special place. My body's also private. It's not for all to see. Some of it stays covered. That's just how it should be. Being with big kids and grown-ups is always loads of fun. I've learned to fly a kite and even hit a home run. But even someone we know and like very much shouldn't touch us in ways we don't want them to touch. It's going to be tough for some parents to read to their kids. or We haven't found that. No? No. no. Really? really? It's not hard. I mean, it's not, you're just teaching children. And look, we, we, we always... You know, the research shows that if two kids have the exact same circumstance, one of them has their own drawer at home and the other one doesn't, and, and this one, like, the kids are taught about their respect, your, your sibling's space, not before you enter a room. This is this is Rifki's drawer. This is Avi's drawer. The kids are, are, are much more likely to defend themselves, even that little difference, because they get accustomed to the idea that I belong. I have stuff that belongs to me. So if somebody comes along and wants to touch them, they f- they're more likely to feel ownership of their own bodies because it extends to other areas. Individuality, right? Individuality and and, Which, and personal ownership. Yeah. And and that other page was the grooming page, meaning you know even if somebody uh, likes you, you know if somebody uh, show exhibits, um, you know is friendly with you, they're still Action. not allowed to touch you because that's we know that that you said earlier, you're right. It's not the strangers, it's it's the guy you you know and like. And you know, that's why we wanted to make the picture look like the kid's uncle. Wow, that's amazing. That's it's re- amazing. It's really a really. tough issue though to yeah. uh, yep. kinda I mean it's very brave to to write this book. It's brave, but well, it's also a, a, a like a I mean, yeah, I get it's just like a dark path to take. Well, you know, I gotta tell you the <clears> darkest <throat> parts of Humanity. humanity i have to well, say that this is it's it's an amazing endeavor it's really innovative and ingenuitive you. i think you. because yeah. it's it realizes that you can run after these offenders as much as you want you can try and enforce the law but really in the end the it's, education is it's, what's going to stop it. no but it's also yeah it's because it's it's hidden right and, it and that's really the message to parents we happen to have a free video if you google search uh, yaakov horowitz child safety we have a nine minute free video on youtube we actually just redid it again with Israeli subtitles for, for Hebrew speakers. So watch the video. You can learn about child safety. The, these are the messages your children need. And, you know, there's something else I've been talking about recently uh, is about the, the, the notion that this is all predicated on children being able to talk to their parents. And there was, a, 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 there was an arrest uh, um, in, in New York in, in, in a school. The, uh, a prin- an assistant principal was arrested for for um, soliciting pornographic pictures of, of, of youngsters. And I found it remarkable because the way he, the reason he got caught was because a 14-year-old kid told his parents. I mean, the gig went like this, that he, he set up social media accounts posing as a girl. He would send some pictures, not naked pictures, but suggestive pictures to the kids, say, you send me, I'll send you more. 
and this would go on for a while. Then, then she, you know, the the guy posing as a girl would send naked pictures of herself to this kid. Say, send me if you send me one, I'll send you. And and then if the kid ever got bugged out, the that person would threaten to put all the pictures online that I have already. Now, I found this remarkable because this guy got caught because a fourteen-year-old told the parents, "You guys are closer to fourteen than I am." Imagine sitting down with your parent. The conversation starts. Oh, you know, mom, dad, I've been sending <laughs> what, and you know, and you know, right? So, Jesus. I found it. I found it remarkable that the child was comfortable. And we we did raise our kids like this that they could tell us anything. So I I, st- I did a workshop. It's called, "Would your kids tell you?" Mm. And and going through the barriers. Why would a Go, let's take it. A 14-year-old would not be likely to tell his parent that he did something wrong because? Embarrassed. Embarrassed. Afraid. Afraid. Doesn't want to get punished, yeah. right? Doesn't want to get yeah. punished. You're not going to keep his confidentiality. The parents don't get it, right? Consequences. Consequences. Of, uh, you're going to bust me for I the mean, rest of this, my life. No, in this right. case of his naked photos going right, online. Right, right. So, so, you know, I tell I do workshops with parents about this because um, it's so important. It's almost a prerequisite to having... Uh, to parenting overall, but specifically in this case, you know, I, I, I happen to have been doing classes like this for a long time. In the secular literature, the general literature, they say, it, this is part of it, tell your parents. <laughs> they don't tell you. They really, I felt, I always felt that there was a gap there, that they weren't spending enough time teaching parents how to do this. So that's another message to parents, you know, start working on your relationship because uh, um, not, not only for this, it's so confusing. You know, is marijuana worse than a cigarette? Is a vaping worse than a cigarette? I heard that marijuana is, is, is even better than a drink because a drink you get drunk on and very few people get toasted on marijuana. You know, all of these arguments and back and forth. The kids, I found the kids would love to talk to their parents. They just don't know don't, how. Mm-hmm. They don't want any of those things to happen. Mm-hmm. Right. So, Okay, Rabbi Horowitz, we got to get you in a cab. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's been re- you're inspiring. Thank you. So thank you. Thanks very much. for for everything that you're thank doing. You. Can the people book. can people donate to the cause if they'd like to? They can go to the website. It's uh, thebrightbeginnings.com. They can look up uh, again again spell it the bright b r i g h t beginnings plural dot com. There's a tab there to donate if they'd like to support our work and buy the book and buy the book. Amazon. Amazon. The English book Kindle? is on Amazon. Uh, the Hebrew book is sold in Yefei Nof bookstores here in Israel. Okay. Um, is it digital also? It's not yet. Not well, yet. we find that, you know, we found that even, even uh, forget the, the whole, you know, Haredi thing and, and, and technology, at least today, parents are more comfortable right. grabbing the paper. Right. You know, For so. kids' books, especially. So. Especially yeah. kids' books. Right. Ultra-Orthodox exactly. don't have iPads. I guess. No, I heard. Maybe one or two. Do. Kosher <laughs> iPads. Um, okay. And if, like, you do lectures, so if a community in America wants to have you... Right. So if they'd like to get in touch with me, um, my email address is ryh, like Rabbi Yaakov Horowitz, at the bright, B-R-I-G-H-T, beginnings with an s.com so they can email me you know that those um your details are probably confidential on the website, my yeah, website well. yeah and and they look at my message to parents is go out educate your kids build your relationships and and keep th- them safe keep them safe that's all there is simple and as complicated as that amazing thank you so much thanks for having before me. we go getting to know you sure thank you uh, we have a collaboration with the jewish journal they're a jewish 
journal.com they have podcasts op-eds articles check them out highly recommended jewishjournal.com and we collaborate with Arutz Sheva um, Arutz Sheva is at israelnationalnews.com check them out they have a website they're on Facebook we're on their Facebook with live apps once in a while uh, and of course we accept donations as well so if you guys want to help us out we do this on our free time go to 2njb.com slash donate that's it Thank you so Thank much. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure. Good luck. Bye. Bye, guys. Bye.